not make it tokenistic but let's make sure we have diversity in our teams and make your team go okay tell me why this is a bad idea you know always going for the ball not the player you know you know i don't think we take that um responsibility and that kind of care um seriously enough if i'm honest you talked about pace it feels like a relentless charge towards that ever increasing pace Where's the line? Yeah. Yeah, as, you, as you look at it, where, where, where do we all kind of go, whoa, stop? Singularity? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, I think many companies are already hitting that line, unfortunately, because it's costly. You know, we're already seeing, you know, the big players of this world, you know, starting to own the technology, the capabilities, you know, no one mentioned, no one forgotten, so to speak. There's obviously been a big case recently in media. Um, I don't know. And I don't think we should stop. I just think we should be more aware. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't want to sit with kind of a doomsday or a tinfoil hat on in this conversation. Um, but as I said, I want us to do it more consciously, you know, and, and, you know, kind of social justice and you know that kind of ethical technology has always been close to my heart you know and it's one that's quite difficult to actually you know table in more commercial organizations and I don't as I said I don't think we take it seriously enough um so I don't think in any way we should stop progress I just think we should be aware of how we apply it and and where we apply it and the types of problems we'd like to solve with it because I think at the moment, you know, kind of, again, just, you know, briefly touching on AI, everyone is talking about it. No one really knows what they mean when they talk about it. You know, as I said, we've been looking at large language models for quite a while. That's the obvious one. You know, then we talk generative AI is the other one that's exciting. But I think we need to go mindfully into it. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm going a bit off piece here, Neil, but one of the things that I'm really thinking about in that space, because I have um, close members of my family with dementia and Alzheimer's, and there is a point to this, um, one of the key things to kind of, you know, that, that they're finding out to combat um, or, you know, um, kind of stagnate the kind of, you know, the speed of, of cognitive decline is that you keep getting challenged intellectual challenge you're using your brain to problem solve etc and i think we need to keep a close eye on how much friction we kind of keep removing from everything we do um you know and i'm sure we'll find other ways to stimulate ourselves but i think from other you know big you know kind of technology revolutions we've seen you know physical decline in people we're seeing obesity epidemics we're seeing a lot of kind of physical uh, manifestations of the fact that we've you we you know we're making life easier for ourselves and i'm just very interested in seeing well where are we going when we're all of a sudden talking on a more cognitive level um so i think there's those things that are interesting to keep an eye on in terms of progress and as i said and then there's obviously the kind of you know what what of our you know how ethical do we approach you know the kind of scale of of the technology that we're now applying so yeah maybe <laughs> A little bit more more doomsday than you were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, that, I mean, but, that, but that's you know, right where it is, and, and yeah. you know, I love I love your point around the, the the positive impact that all of this change can have on people suffering yeah. with serious mm. or quite debilitating illness. You know, it, it yeah. doesn't have to be 
oh well just sit in the corner and wait you know that that's not yeah. where where any of these people should find themselves and we do genuinely have a responsibility to help yeah. and support so i yeah. could not agree more um talking with paul randall on a previous video around sustainable marketing and he touched yeah. on how uh, greenwashing is a real thing and you know, the other the eu are pulling out guidance and stats around false claims yeah. of, yeah. of product is that something that you see is that something you're combating personally uh yes you know it's like i think most retailers will talk about how sustainable their supply chain is when we kind of know that that unfortunately isn't true and rainer plaza things like those things have really proved to us in recent years that we aren't looking after our supply chain i think you know the pandemic showed us how um, a lot of organizations have a hold over their production partners in the global south by refusing to pay for products that been you know that been produced for them etc we saw that so i do think that there's a lot of hot air in that in that part um unfortunately um i think as well there's there'll be a lot of ethics wash, washing we'll see a lot of purpose washing we'll start seeing you know not too long ago we had you know, a, a couple of ethicists leave Google, right? You know, um, so I think, again, we need to take it seriously. We need to kind of try and can we, you know, can we kind of wade through all of that and figure out what, what's kind of, you know, truth is always subjective, right? But what's, yeah, not to yeah. be taken in by a lot of, lot of talk. <laughs> I think we're all getting yeah. a bit better at that. I'm, I'm actually sort of yeah. things next to the till now. I'm trying to check things out, yeah. I suppose grabbing them because of the, the really glitzy yeah. marketing. You do kind of do that. Um, yeah, and I think you're actually saying, sorry, so you're saying something quite important there because we Black Friday, right? It's like, I do think what we're not aware of, every time we spend money, we are part of deciding what world we want, you know? And that might say, sound very sanctimonious, but that is the truth. You know, we make a decision when we buy a product, you know, and we may feel that we are dropping the ocean, but you know where where that is one of the influences we actually have that's very direct as consumers um and yeah i do try and think about it but of course there's also times when you're just tired you come you know you've had a long day and you kind of grab something but yeah i'd love more people to to check the back of the packaging perhaps <laughs> I, I, i'm writing down all of the little sound bites that you keep giving me and i'm going to need a separate <laughs> You're loading me right up here. But it's really important mm. stuff. This is fantastic. Um, what what do you see as the difference um, in terms of sort of operating and, and maybe offering guidance and consultancy in the, the European markets to mm. well, mainline Europe, I guess, to, to the UK or, or anywhere else? Um, so, again, it's difficult because I think the very nature of my work is to come in because someone has a certain shape that they're missing in their processes, organization or, or team. So most organization will have the same challenges. Um, I have obviously worked predominantly with UK companies, but also with some Europeans. And obviously I'm, I'm from Denmark. So I've worked with a couple of Danish companies and Swedish companies. I think the biggest thing I'm seeing with those companies is how their teams are treated in many ways. I think that I see a lot in the UK, this might be very controversial, an infantilization of workforces. I have seen very much not people being taken seriously for the job they have, their opinion, their expertise. 
whereas I feel there is a more autonomous way of treating roles and um, employees in the European companies I've been in at. Interesting. Okay. I will then say that from a process often and technology, we are further ahead in the UK than we are in some of the, the Nordics, perhaps, that I've, I've been in at, you know, um, that's not to say there aren't companies. Again, as I said, be aware, you know, come to the caveat that I come in because someone would like to transform something, right? So that's always always the caveat, I guess, to kind of to mention. But I think the workforce differentiation is is really one that has struck me in later years that I was like, I can really see a difference. Gosh, that's, 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 um, that is significant. Why, why do you think that they're a little bit behind in terms of the technology? Is it a government investment thing or is it just a... Uh, we'll we'll just kind of not necessarily be leading edge. We'll wait and see where everybody else does first. Uh, I think it has been well. It's difficult to say. I maybe the need hasn't been there in the same way. You know, you're also talking if you say Denmark, it's a much smaller um, smaller country. You know, the distances are closer in terms of getting to a town centre or whatever. Um, I think there is perhaps just culturally you know, more love for bricks and mortar, I guess it's the shape of your economy a little bit, you know, so I, you know, I think, I think it would be foolish for me to maybe draw any conclusions there, um, you know, on, on perhaps a very small sample set in fairness. Um, but yeah, just not, not as mature in a lot of, um, you know, payment options, things like that, you know, it's absolutely coming, you know, it's there now, but you know, when, you know, sort of 10, 10, 15 years ago, we were definitely moving a lot quicker in, in the UK. Fair sure. enough, fair enough. Um, okay, let's change direction a little bit. Um, your 20 year journey to the top. I mean, yeah, let's let's be frank about these things. You know, uh, a woman in, in business, a woman in tech, uh, you know, uh, a woman in senior leadership roles. You know, those are still things that we're debating now. And my own opinion yeah. is, the more spotlight we put on them, we're still kind of creating a divide. Personally, is is my own view. What's yours? You're you're in that role. You're in that seat. How's how's it felt for you? Mm, I don't know if I'm at the top, but thank you very much for the compliment. <laughs> I have a lot to learn uh, still. Um, it's difficult because I do think that women are treated differently. I do think that we still have a long way to go. And that's everything from practical kind of, you know, implementation in companies to, to attitudinal. You know, I think everyone will on the surface go, no, absolutely not, you know, and then there'll be things that kind of betray them when it comes to, you know, to actually act on it. Um, you know, again, from a, a recent company talking about, you know, we were, I don't know, 20 odd senior leaders in the organization and there was three women, you know, and one was people, one was marketing and the third was me, you know, so you kind of think about and that was a full scale end to end, you know, kind of business. So you sort of, yeah. And and when kind of bringing that up, it was very much we have other, you know, we have other bigger problems to solve, you know, and, you know, that that's kind of still the answer you're met when you're trying to talk about kind of diversity and inclusivity when it actually comes to crunch time, you know, organizations will do, they're there to make money, they're there to create value, be it for shareholder, be it for investors, be it for whatever, and I think we'll go along on the route for as long as it, you can prove that it makes money for the organization. When it becomes less tangible, 
you know, you will pursue the metrics that are, are more obvious, you know, and that isn't always hiring a, a diverse workforce, unfortunately. Um, and then we can talk about, you know, maternity, paternity, you know, flexible working, you know, those are all real, um, you know, real kind of um, blockers, you know, for men and women, you know, there's a lot of men who'd like to work differently, but perhaps also feel pigeonholed and feel like they have to be the provider or, you know, they often maybe they make more money, you know, and so we're kind of penalizing men and women, you know, but on a much more economic scale and more directly, we're obviously penalizing women more than men, you know, in the in in this setting. Um, and, you know, that's obviously more obvious for people with families. For those who don't, that's, you know, you still probably might want flexible working, you know, or, or job share or, you know, things like that. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you're right. There's, there's still there's still problems to solve. There, it's probably fair to say. Yeah. Um, top three pitfalls. Where, where, where do we all go wrong as, as companies, as businesses trying to create a product, trying to create a thing? What are, what are the top three pitfalls that you would advise us away from? Oh, that kind of depends. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, we talked, we touched on data, right? So I think about not being data informed. I think we do still see that. We still have some who will go, but my wife, my mum, my whatever shops in this way. Um, so I think not engaging enough with your market generally, as I said, either existing or potential. Um, Over-engineering, perhaps a solution as well, you know, and I think that that goes a little bit back to how we work as individuals and what also motivates us as work, you know, in the sense that a lot of areas are commoditized or formulaic these days because a lot of problems have been solved from a technology, from a kind of feature perspective. Um, but I also understand why we both take pride and have a, a much more bigger interest in kind of creating those products, those services ourselves. So I think there's an element of the kind of build and buy. You know, I've seen, you know, a couple of, you know, some companies that I'm aware of where they afterwards go, we should have bought rather than built, you know, to get faster to market. And that's if you're kind of talking more startup, right? So, so there's those kind of things. Um, how, you know, how do you kind of look at that and not, perhaps be too proud and, and maybe buy sometimes rather than build. Um, you know, a recent example was when I was at a, you know, at a, at a small kind of tech, uh, rather finance startup within a large organization, but, you know, a previous consultancy, again, I won't mention names, had been in and spent three months trying to build a calendar integration, you know, and it didn't really work very well. And I came in and I asked them to integrate with Calendly, you know, sorry to give Calendly advertising space here. Um, you know, and that was like, what, four or seven lines of code and it worked within half a day. And, you know, it's those kind of things that, yes, that's perhaps isn't the most interesting thing for their developers to do. But we were at a proposition testing stage. So that was absolutely the right business decision to make. Yeah. So I think it's those kind of things that you need to look at in the small and the large, you know, the kind of trade offs. Um, yeah, and then sometimes there just isn't product market fit. I think it's also, you know, this is overused, but sort of kill your darlings or kill puppies, some people call it, you know, don't keep pursuing kind of, you know, more ego driven, driven products. Um, and then maybe lastly, touching, you know, or back kind of on the idea of being very set on the type of features like the chatbot that you want to implement, you know, I think too many companies I've seen have very, very different objectives to meet. 
And that creates a lot of waste in terms of time spent, friction between teams, between departments, not pursuing the same things because you're perhaps you know, top level kind of metrics, objectives, OKRs, whatever, you know, flavor you use are actually not aligned in a way that you're running in the same direction. Um, I think that's something I see a lot, you know, senior management being sort of almost pitted against each other rather than incentivized to collaborate. Interesting. And and yeah, I think I've seen a little of that myself. Let's lean into that senior management piece a little bit. Um, yeah. You've been been very candid with your with your views and opinions so far. So really, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I'll, I'll never work again. But there we are. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can edit it out. It's fine. Um, yes, just can, just edit them. <laughs> do do businesses operate well, or can a business operate well with a combined chief product officer and chief technology officer or is that something that you have strong views on they have to be separate maybe they should be together what's what's your views i don't necessarily have that strong views on it um again i think it depends on the business the size of the business the problems you're trying to solve you know i think i've seen examples where it actually works really well and then i think there are examples where I think particular product teams can feel neglected if they are under more technical leadership, because often that, you know, again, our own biases, you know, where do we lean? Um, and there's always the, you know, product teams will forever suffer with having to try and prove the value of discovery of things that don't necessarily go right, you know, testing things out. And, you know, and I think if you don't have a, le a leadership that's kind of on board with that, you spend money in that space to actually hit, you know, the gold nuggets along the way. Um, so, so I really think it, it really depends. You know, I think if you are that person in that role, you know, a you need to be incredibly self-aware and hire a team that really can complement your own. I don't want to say shortcomings because that's negative, but complement your own skill set, right? So, if 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 I'm someone who's very technical leaning make sure you hire someone who's much more kind of product design, you know, leaning as your kind of deputies or your, you know, next in line, so to speak, um, and, and vice versa, right? If you're not overly technical, well, you need people you can trust and that can can really drive, you know, really robust, you know, um, technology, you know, tech strategies and, and implementation. So, yeah, so I think, I think it depends really, so is the political answer yeah. but say <laughs> <laughs> right on the, but no. right on the fence and, and i tend to agree it very much does depend and, and yeah i mean hell those combined roles i very much agree with the you know choose, choose someone to, to fill the gaps you know to fill yeah. a bit that you know, you, we've all got strengths we've all got lesser strengths uh so i think it is yeah. important that you build out your team to, to do that exactly yeah um Cool. All right. A few rapid fire questions to, to wrap this one up with. <laughs> uh, your advice for 13 year old you? Yeah, I thought about that. I think that's probably too young, if I'm completely honest. Um, yeah, I know I struggle with that one. Neil. Like, I think I'm going to have to owe you an answer. I don't know. I think, you know, I, I don't think I'd do anything massively different. You know, I just think that you know, mind blowing what I got to work on, what, you know, what I knew existed as a 13 year old. I'm not sure what I was thinking as 13 is not a great age for anyone, is it? Yeah. Okay. You do owe me that answer. I'll come back to you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Biggest influence <laughs> on your career? 
oh, this is going to sound so saccharine sweet. But I think my husband, you know, he sort of fired the starting gun of my kind of technology career um, many, many, many years ago. I never really you know, knew that there was such a thing as business analysts, things like that. So my husband is a technologist, you know, he's a CTO um, and really pushed me in that direction. And yeah, and, and has been a great support along the way. It's been great to have him as a sounding board, you know, if I needed to check that someone wasn't trying to pull the wool over my eyes or, you know, he's also someone who is incredibly good at building teams um, and creating those relationships. I've really lent on, him as, lent on him as well when I've been in doubt about where to go in certain situations. Um, and then obviously I feel like I've had some really great bosses along the way as well. You know, um, men and women, you know, have really been very inspirational, been really supportive of me, gotten, you know, gotten the best out of my strengths, you know. Um, yeah, and, and my teams, you know, what's the teams that I, I managed, individuals there, it doesn't really matter, again, where in the food chain you are, you know, I think end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm very keen on levelling as much as you can, um, you know, obviously still some people have to make decisions that others can't, but yeah, I, you know, I just, yeah, as I said, people in, people out, you know, so that's, yeah, again, I don't mention anyone, I haven't forgotten anyone. <laughs> Um, greatest achievement, hardest lesson. Oh, God. Um, I don't know. I think greatest achievement, I think sometimes this is, again, one that's difficult to put on the CV, but I've been in some really tough jobs where you feel like there's not, you know, you're really up against it and you perhaps have some, you know, you're working with some peers that are, are, are slightly not bought into what you're there to do etc um when i have then left an engagement um i've had emails from them thanking me for having really moved their thinking along or you know and i think that's what in many ways surprised me the most that you know that it's been often that type of person rather than perhaps someone you feel like you work really well with you know um and I think that in many ways is a great achievement because I think people forget the people side of change when we come in and do these transformations that it's really about how do you leave the people feeling and can they carry on your work and do they want to not carry on your work because it's their work, you know, how do you kind of bring them along? So, so I think that in some ways is, is some, you know, something I see as a great achievement to what, to what I do. Um, Biggest lessons are oh, just having made so, you know, having made management mistakes with my people when I was younger, you know, thinking that I had to know it all, do it all, you know, uh, maybe demanded too much of myself, demanded too much of others. Um, yeah, I think those things you kind of reflect on later, how would I have done that differently? Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, again, having the kind of ability to, to to grow in that space has been has been great and becoming more of a of a leader that I, I would like to be that sounds as if I was really horrible I don't think so all the time <laughs> but you know as I said I think I think it, it is just about the people end of the day technology is amazing and it never seems to amaze me what we can do with it you know and it is it is fantastic and we work in this industry because we're excited about it you know but Ultimately, it's people who's building it, using it, you know, and 
you know and and, you know, and that's what you've kind of got to take home at the end of the day absolutely great answer um and then lastly we're in the locker room what's in your locker that has made your success perhaps drawing on your last couple of answers over all these years what's made you the success that you are oh i always sort of try and remember not to take myself too seriously but take my job very seriously i think those are two very different things so i think it's really important to have fun at work you know i think humor is really important i think it's a really again quick leveler in terms of you know again you and that comes back to situational leadership as well right because you've got to know when to crack a joke and i'm not saying i've always got that right but i think there is something about kind of trying to to you know, if there is a bit of an atmosphere or, you know, I think humor is really undervalued, actually. Um, so hopefully other people find me funny. Who knows? Um, yeah. So I think that's one thing. And yeah, it's situational leadership. I think know your audience, you know, um, is is really important in, in any work, but particularly when you are in an often sort of a very emotionally charged environment as you are when you come in and have to help a, an organization go through change. You know, how do you, yeah. And again, that's definitely something I've learned along the way to be much more tuned into and therefore feel like I have much more success with it. You know, and as I said, getting those, you know, surprising but very nice emails when you leave. Yeah. Hopefully speaks to that. Perfect. All right. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're cutting out now. This is interesting. I don't know what you're thanking oh, me for. <laughs> I don't think we got there. Um, but really, really, really good session. Um, subscribe, comment. Please leave your comments. Please let us know uh, what you think of this and, and any of our other videos as well um, so that Christina can, can see uh, feedback on this particular session. But do leave your comments. Um, until next time, it's uh, goodbye from Christina. Bye. And Thank you very much, Neil. You're very welcome and it's goodbye from me and we will see you next time in the locker room. Take care.